Welcome to Election R&D from the University of Southern California's Center for the Political Future. Our podcast brings together America's top politicians, journalists, academics, and strategists from across the political spectrum for discussions on hot-button issues where we respect each other and respect the truth. We hope you enjoy these conversations. So welcome to our last panel of the day. Uh, Adley Stevenson once said, after a raucous day at a Democratic convention, that he knew who they were going to nominate, the last survivor. So I salute you as last survivors of today, uh, which I think has been an extraordinary set of conversations, and I hope we can match that. Our panelists are Rob Collins. He's a longtime Republican strategist, former executive director of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, and an absolutely terrific human being despite his politics. Uh, <laughs> Betsy Fisher-Martin, who's an Emmy Award-winning journalist, who's a former producer of Meet the Press, very close to Tim Russert, and now executive director of the Women in Politics Institute at American University. My colleague, Christian Gross, associate professor of political science and public policy at USC Dornsife, academic director at the uh, Schwarzenegger Institute for State and Global Policy. His book, Congress in Black and White, won the Best Book on Race and Politics Awards from the American Political Science Association. And, of course, Mike Murphy, co-director of the Center for the Political Future, political analyst for NBC News. Some of you have probably seen him on TV. Former senior strategist for John McCain, Mitt Romney, Jeb Bush, among many others. A longtime political adversary and a very good friend. The way I want to do this is sort of talk back and forth about Democrats and Trump and try to weave it together. And I'm going to start with this. Democrats had a long, contentious primary process in 2008, and it did not seem to hurt Obama. In fact, arguably, it helped him. You can argue, on the other hand, that it did hurt Hillary Clinton. Our raucous Democratic primaries, if that's what we see in 2020, if somehow or other Biden or someone like that doesn't run the table, likely to hurt Democrats and help Trump in November. Anybody want to start with that? You know, if it's raucous and it continues... It'll put some of them in ideological positions that could be an opportunity for Trump. And I think, too, Trump will definitely try to kind of weaponize the dissension within the ranks in the Democratic Party and sort of take advantage, I think, of, of that. And I think you saw, you know, in 2016, you saw Bernie Sanders didn't really ever fall in line. And that definitely did hurt Hillary Clinton later. You know, I try to always who I vote for is who I vote for, but I always kind of look at candidates and campaigns as companies or stocks and do, you know, you invest and in how do you look at things? And I'm looking at the process and I see, and we can get to Trump and his strengths in a second, but you know, in 2014, when I was running the senatorial committee, we had to take out a lot of incumbents. The one thing, what people always say money's the mother's milk of politics and to some degree it is, but really time is the most important thing in any campaign and incumbents, have the luxury of time and they have the luxury of stability and chaos is bad to try and take out an, an incumbent. It's, it's hard to take out incumbents. Presidents have a 78% re-election rate. It's really hard to beat an American president. We like our brands. We they usually want to give the president the full two terms to kind of complete his vision and that's why we throw out that party in general and we take the other party because it's time for their turn. So the long process, the chaos, the sheer fact that, um, you know, in this room, it seems like there's movement towards Biden. But if you look at the polling, 
you know, Sanders is up 14 since December in New Hampshire. His numbers have remained solid in Iowa. So you're looking at a longer and possibly longer process, which is not foreign to us. I mean, let's not forget Rick Santorum picked up 113 states against Mitt Romney. We had a very long process, and I think it did weaken our eventual nominee. Did it matter in the end? Probably not. But um, I think it's harder and harder, especially as uh, if this race goes deeper and deeper. Um, and, and as you said, the ideological promises get further out to the left, but also the divisions get harder, and it gets harder to bring the party back together. Christian? Yeah, I think that I think a divisive primary on the Democratic side could make a negative impact in, on the Democrats' chances. There is some mixed research on this, though. Some research recently shows divisive primaries just excite people and get people mobilized, and if you vote in a primary late in the, late in the calendar, you're more likely to then show up to vote again in the general. Um, even if you do have uh, hard feelings afterwards. And so it kind of goes in two different directions. The mobilization of Democrats over 50 states in 2016 might have caused some Democrats to be pretty mad when it was over and not enthusiastic, but also might have caused some to um, have shown up for the first time and maybe then vote again in the general election. And so I think it's a, it's a mixed bag. And then, of course, the proportional delegate allocation of the Democratic primary and the large number of candidates all polling about at the same point in uh, the 20s or so in the early states and the national polls just means it mathematically could go on unless um, w- unless there's someone that emerges early on. I have to say, by the way, uh, Mr. Collins, that's the first time I've ever heard Donald Trump associated with the word stability. Uh, uh. And I want to talk about the Trump strategy which so far seems to be doubling down on a campaign directed to his base. Last time he drew to an inside straight, narrowly carrying uh, those three states, changed 38,000 votes and he's not president. I'm not sure you can draw to an inside straight a second time. So what is Trump's strategy and what should it be? If you look at Trump as a stock, and I know it's going to kill you for me to be complimentary of this guy, but... He's got a good economy. He's got his trade deals have all fallen into place, USMCA, China, Japan. You, you saw magically the DS, the digital service tax tariff fight with France suddenly has been postponed till after the election. His government's funded through the elections, no shutdowns. And um, I think he's going to make a strong case that his policies have helped fix, the, fix, the, fix or make better the crisis down the border. So you look at all the strength that Trump is going to be able to run on. And the CNN poll came out last week. He's, he's approval of the economy, his handling of the economy, he's 15 points higher than his job approval. And if you ask voters, are things better? Do you, is, the econ- is your personal economics better or, or much better? I want to say the number was 57% better or much better. So I don't think it's hard to look at that and say he's going to run economy, 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 which all presidents do. But this president is uniquely tied to the economy uh, in a way that we haven't seen other presidents. So, you know, I know everyone here on this panel has been gearing up for a tight race. But there is also a case to be made that if the Democratic base wins out and they get a left of center candidate that's too far left, say not a non-Biden, non-Bloomberg, you're going to have a very ideological candidate come out of the left. And you're going to have a personally unpopular president with a strong economy able to make a case for don't change horses midstream, we're, we're winning, and I was the businessman president, I cut all these trade deals, I made life better, I got the economy going, we cut your taxes, 
uh, you know, four more years. And I think it's going to be a compelling case. Sounds like the case you would recommend that he make. Do you think that's what he's doing? I think, yeah. I mean, I think that's their strategy is that he's always been the business candidate. And, but also I think he has a supporting cast around him and Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell and Republican leadership that is just saying, let's keep the economy hot. Let's, let's, let's not spook the stock market. Let's not spook the economy. Let's get out of these trade wars for now. You can have them when you're, you know, get reelected and, you know, uh, accomplishments for the Senate and the House were good. So everyone got to go home and say, here's all the things I did. In impeachment, everyone's getting their, their way. I mean, the, the Democrats will say we impeached him. The Republicans will say he was vindicated. It was partisan. And, you know, they'll fight that out. And, and the, the people who are paying attention to impeachment this week already know who they're voting for this coming election. And the American people, by and large, who aren't focusing on the election, as you know, voters are going to, their intensity is going to increase after Labor Day. They're going to ask themselves a simple question, which Trump is going to play into, is am I better off than I was four years ago? Yeah, that sounds like Reagan's campaign in 1984. The problem is it's not what I'm seeing uh, day to day. Is is he going to stick with the script, right? He's Rob is right. And if you were advising him, you would tell him to keep talking about the economy, right? And how well it's doing. Is he going to be capable of doing that? Or is he going to kind of resort to the negativity that we're seeing, the attacking of his opponents, getting way off a message, the tweeting, all of these sort of instability that we see from him is he going to be able to kind of yeah, but stick think, to that i think your average script. voter that just kind of blows past i mean um you know i always point a little it's, these are little things that aren't scientific so it may offend the scientists in the room but you know adam schiff was a jeopardy question and none of the people on the panel got the question they didn't know who he was <laughs> and it just strikes you that where we live and breathe it in dc and the politicos in this room that a lot of this just kind of flows over the American people because they're raising families and living and, you know, doing what they do. And so you're right. This is an undisciplined, asymmetrical president, which is actually why Biden's actually an interesting opponent because he's, you know, he's asymmetrical. He's unpredictable. And in, in his unpredictability, Joe Biden is actually a more interesting matchup for me than anyone else because the good news about Bernie Sanders is he's very consistent over 30 years. So you can kind of see where he's coming, like a Hillary Clinton. Um, but the other problem that Trump presents is he's tough to match up because he's not your daddy's Republican Party guy. I mean, he's not Bush. He's not H.W. Bush. I mean, on trade, on tariffs, on some regulatory stuff, he's kind of been non-traditional for Republicans. So he doesn't give classic brand matchups. He's not ideological. He's not ideological. So he doesn't give classic brand matchups. You know, Republicans are for this. Democrats are for this. And, you know, Romney and Obama were the classic brands like slamming into each other. And, and you know, the president got reelected. And so Trump, it's a harder. I mean, if you look at the debates, trade, the centerpiece of the Trump administration, I would argue, has been his trade agenda. Very, very skinny references in all the Democratic debates we've seen on TV, primarily because there isn't a ton of separation there. So it's hard for them to match up. So, so, so what you're really doing is talking about a campaign that reflects the traditional correlation between the economy and presidential preference. There's a lot of evidence that that may be broken or eroded. You cited one poll. The Quinnipiac poll shows that 21% of the people who approve of Trump's handling of the economy disapprove of him as president. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if by breaking all the guardrails, he's not attracting all of, despite your Jeopardy thing, the attention on Trump, it seems to me, among average people, has not been about trade deals. 
the attention on Trump has been about a lot of other stuff. But l- let me get Mike's take and then Christian's. You know, I, I would say to the original question, Trump never has a strategy. He runs on impulse, cultural impulse. If you take, there's always so much overthinking all this. Half these polls are a joke because it's impossible now to get a decent sample on the phone. Ann Seltzer has to do a new Des Moines Register poll, and I, I think she's in a bar right now staring at a bottle of whiskey and a revolver <laughs> trying to figure out how to do it because everybody I want plugs their phone this time of year. I would say as far as what Trump's strategy ought to be, it's pretty simple, and it's highly traditional, and he's incapable of doing it. He ought to say, whoops, I'm sorry, I got a little too mad with the Ukrainian. Sorry about that. Take the energy out of that thing. And he ought to talk about the economy every day. I mean, I think Rob is right under the traditional calculus. If you can make Trump disappear and make it a referendum on the economy, which, by the way, puts the election in the hands of the economy, which you don't control. We've tapped out the Federal Reserve. Not a lot of gas left in, in the policy engine if we hit any kind of setback to restart that. But if Trump could disappear and reelect the economy, it would be great. But that's not Trump. He can't disappear. He's Trump. He's going to be in this thing every day being Trump. So what I do is I look at it like a Wall Street person. I go to that term mark to market. You know what that means? That's like, all right, Amber, we got to sell this building today. What price could we get for it? Not the best price, the today price, what the market would value it at. And in our business, for all the BS of polling and pundits and focus groups and analytics and everything, mark to market's election day. That's when we count the votes. That's why we were so surprised in 2016 because we got a lesson that we've only had five times in history, which is the distribution of the vote is every bit as important as the number of the vote, the Electoral College. So if you look at the Republican Party since the day Donald John Trump raised his hand and took the oath of office, we have been clobbered almost everywhere ever since. We have done under usual. There are exceptions. Wisconsin Supreme Court race with low turnout. We won. But fundamentally, in the polling, it's lousy. We've lost ten control of ten governorships. We've had the worst congressional election day, the worst mark-to-market since Watergate. So it looks to me like the country wants to fire Donald Trump. But there's a huge variable that Trump will bet on, and he's smart to bet on it, which is, you think I'm bad? Look at them. And the Democrats have decided that this is the year to test identity and socialism as the organizing principle of their party. Now, it might be, from a normative what ought to be point of view, absolutely appropriate. But the hard practical politics of beating Donald Trump would demand, in my view, a real practicality. And we all know from working in this thing that one thing that never matches up generally are primary voters and practicality. Maybe this year it'll be a little different. Bob has a theory about an Iowa. They land on the one they perceive as a winner. We may find that. There's definitely a Biden conventional wisdom boomlet going on now. So I think it comes down to a very simple equation. Will Trump get a Democrat that he can work over with the Trump toolbox which has no rules. Throw acid, throw acid. Shame doesn't work on him. Shame was a good deterrent of presidential behavior for a long time. Nixon right now is thinking, damn. (laughs) I wish I had the nerve to try some of that stuff. I might still be here. So he'll get out the toolbox and work over the Democrat and see if he can scare the Republican suburbs back. He's got rural America, and he's going to hyper-vote that culturally. They see a bunch of fancy people in Los Angeles, New York, getting ready. We're laughing at them. So they're going to they're gonna ride on Election Day and be for Trump. The question is, where will the wealthy Republican suburbs go? They've been killing us in these midterms, but the right scary candidate can push them back. Last thing very quickly. Trump's biggest, argument, biggest problem is demography. A lot of Trump voters are dead from 2016 because he dominated older voters. No, it's true. 
I like to joke that when the Republican army is on the march, you can see it's coming. <laughs> Democrats never outlaw use tennis balls, and that's how to beat us. But every day, more Trump voters die in new, young, multicultural, Democrat-leaning voters are created. Now, whether you turn them out and vote them is a huge issue. Uh, the last time the election, according to the exit polls, was about 71% white. It's going to be less than that. might even be like 69.8. We might get under 70. And so the world is moving against Trump. He's going to have to be better than last time, and last time was close. Christian? I agree with some of this. I do want to emphasize two things, though. I do think the economy helps Trump to echo what we've heard, but I do think, you know, I agree with Bob that Trump is just not, and what Mike is saying too, Trump doesn't have the discipline to have the message. He should be able to win easily given the state of the economy. Um, the numbers on right direction, wrong direction is the country going in the wrong direction. You know, large majorities thinks it's going in the wrong direction. Um, which Democrat is better? You know, I mean, maybe with the exception of Sanders, I don't think it really matters. I think that the incumbents on the ballot, the incumbents not emphasizing the economy, most people who used to be Republicans in the suburbs are trending Democratic. There's a there's a realignment. There are a lot of other voters who used to vote Democratic who are trending Republican. Um, so it will be it, it could be competitive. But I think, you know, anybody could win and everyone will be painted on the left as all the really terrible words that will be used about them one way or the other. So I think it's really any of the Democrats, with maybe the exception of Sanders, who I do think is a little bit different, the could probably win uh, and beat Trump, assuming Trump continues to emphasize things other than the economy. So let's talk about the Democrats for a minute and then go back to Trump. Mike and I had a bet a few months ago. Normally he's always right, <laughs> but uh, he's been wrong on this one. He He thought that Biden would disappear before Iowa. And Mike, you've got to pick where we're going to have dinner since I won that bet. <laughs> Would you uh, remind me every hour? <laughs> uh, let's talk about Biden for a minute. And not Biden as we discussed him this morning, but Biden in a general election contest. Don't you think there would be a ferocious assault on Hunter Biden and Joe Biden coming from the Trump campaign? And what impact is it likely to have given the success that they had with Hillary's emails and and Benghazi and the FBI investigation, all that stuff. We can start with anyway, start with Rob, okay. since I disagreed with him before. <laughs> yeah, I mean listen, Biden has a long record. I you know, I've been around him. I, I always personally I think he's a really wonderful person, but he's got some dirt under his fingernails that um, will be brought out. I mean, this is a job interview, and uh, like any job interview, there's going to be a background check. And uh, uh, so I think the Democrats have to be convinced that that's going to happen. I mean, but I think Trump will face the same level of scrutiny, if not more, in the sense that, you know, he's got more dirt under his fingernails. And, uh, you know, if you're going to get in this game, that's that's life. And if you've done stuff that you're not proud of, well, it's going to come out. And that's that every candidate I've ever talked to, I said, if you think it's not coming out, you're crazy. Even if you ran for the House, you run for the Senate, this is the big leagues. And there is a multi-million dollar operation on both sides. Both parties have it. That if you were in a courthouse in the middle of Iowa 40 years ago and something happened, we're going to find it. Now, the Democrats will probably find it first, but we're going to find it eventually, too. <laughs> Candidates don't believe you, and they think they can hide it, and all of a sudden it's, oh, that divorce. 
oh, oh no, that wasn't really, a, you know, they start with the, the explanations. And uh, so, yeah, I think that that's, you know, giddy up, here we go. And same with Sanders. Um, you know, you saw some stuff bubble up in the primary this time. You saw some stubble, stuff bubble up when he was running against Hillary Clinton. You know, he's got some stuff that he's going to have to answer for. And I think that's the challenge is that if you pick a nominee based on ideological preferences, that's fine, but you have to be willing to accept their baggage. You know, when you've been in office for 30 years, you've done stuff. So there's a report this afternoon that the president's lawyers in the impeachment process, when they get to start making their case, are going to lean very heavily on going after Hunter Biden. That's why I asked this, because I think that this doesn't happen, that won't happen without coordination and sign-off from the president in the White House. So is it likely, I I think it is likely that if Biden's the nominee, they're going to try to make a very big deal out of this. I want to know what you think the impact's going to be. Betsy, you want to start? I mean, I think they're going to, he's going to try to make a big deal. Just, I mean, to pick up on Rob's point about any of the candidates. I mean, think of the worst thing about each candidate. And that is what you are going to hear constantly coming out of the Trump campaign. I mean, it's going to be Hunter Biden Biden. It's going to be Pocahontas 24-7 with Elizabeth Warren. It's going to be crazy birds. But is that going to work? That's his play. I mean, that's how he's going to operate. And nothing sticks to Trump in terms of what Rob was talking about, that there's uh, dirt under the fingernails there. It's like, you know, you don't look at the dirt under the fingernails at somebody that works in an auto mechanic shop. You expect it to be there. You're not looking at, but every, but the Democrats are going to have the spotlight on any sort of dirt that they have under their fingernails. And it's going to be, I think, just completely coming out of, of the Trump campaign, but it, it doesn't stick. It hasn't stuck. Uh, to Trump thus far. I mean, I think with Biden in particular, he's got, I mean, he's he's not the most successful candidate in his past elections when he had some pretty bad things that he did back in 1988 in Iran, and or at least for professors, pretty bad things. Plagiarism isn't considered that big of a deal anymore um, when you run for president, but it was back in the 1980s. Um, so I think... I think that, you know, attacking Biden could hurt him and the stuff with Hunter Biden could just be a smokescreen. But on the other hand, I just think Trump is it's not 2016 Trump. It's not where you can project what you want out of Trump and I hope it'll work out. People have lived with Trump for three years and they have their they have their sense of him. They either like him or they don't. And like um, to echo what you said earlier, Rob, about, you know, the voters are paying attention to certain things. The attacks will stick to the people who are hardcore partisans. And they're going to believe it. The, the hardcore partisans on the left, on the Democratic side, are not going to believe any of it. And then it's going to be the same, the same thing as usual. And ten thousand people in Wisconsin who um, can't decide, who you know, live in Green Bay or something, will will maybe be influenced by it. But that's about it. I think it's just you know, Biden. Biden um, has a lot of baggage already, and somehow he's looked at as the most electable. And it's hard to see that that will that will change. I think for the average. Voter, a Burisma is a small lap dog owned by movie stars that costs a thousand dollars. Um, an Afghan is a cat. So, will it hurt Biden? Yes, because the bumper sticker is, oh, Joe Biden's idiot son got 50 grand a month for being named Biden. Now, I heard that about George H.W. Bush's son and the Texas Rangers. Heard that for a long time. And, Trump's idiot sons are making a lot of money running around the world, too. They're even selling passports. The problem is most Americans think the system's so broke, they all do it. You ask a Trump voter about the phone call to Ukraine, they'll say, you think Hillary Clinton 
wouldn't have tried to get the dirt on Trump anywhere she could have, even from Putin? Of course she would. They're all that way. And in 30 years of doing this, I've been in a million campaigns where somebody comes up through the floorboards, I talk to a reporter, and the guy got a giveaway mortgage from a developer who had 28 years ago in the city council had a zoning, blah, 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 and we got him, the A-bomb, Barack Obama, the sweetheart mortgage. Remember that? Whitewater. And voters just say, they all do it. What's in it for me? So I think they're both be hurt. I do think it is true that Biden, who demographically looks pretty good, old white Catholic guy, blue collar, into Trump's blue collar world, maybe, culturally, is not changed. That's why I've been short. That's why I lost the bet with Bob, because I knew he'd have a wobbly start, and I thought it would get him. He had a wobbly start, and he recovered, because Elizabeth Warren got busy having her own wobbly start after everybody figured out her health care plan. And everybody at the John Deere plant up there in northeastern Iowa thought, wait a minute, I'm in the UAW. I like my health care. Who the hell's the communist? Get me out of here. And her, she never had a second act and kind of died at the end of the year. The point is, the people who think that Biden's a walk, I, I think uh, he has, they all have risk. It's just pick your flavor of risk. And uh, I think Biden's zillion years in D.C. can be a headwind for him. I mean, I'll, I'll say something very provocative. I think Bernie can win. I think Bernie could beat Trump. I don't think it's impossible. Conventional wisdom is impossible. He's Bernie. He's crazy. But he has one thing in common with Trump. And it's not unlike, and this is a little bit unfair to Bernie, but Pat Cadell, the great pollster recently, or a few years ago passed away, did a groundbreaking study as a young student of the similarities in 72. Bob will remember he, he was on that campaign. I'm, I'm kidding. The similarities between alienated McGovern voters and alienated Wallace voters. And so you get a bunch of Trump blue-collar folks in Michigan and Wisconsin, and you run the Elizabeth Warren or Bernie playbook, some of the populism, the big corporate stuff, some heads start nodding. So I think Trump taught us last time to be a little careful about sure winners and sure losers. If I have to bet, I'll bet on the theory that Biden is more competitive, but I'm not sure. I think if you're not Trump, you get to 49, and then then that last two points or three points could be a long, long march. So you, you just talked about Sanders. He was mentioned before. I do think he has a chance to win the nomination. One of the things that intrigues me about Sanders is for a variety of reasons we don't have to go into, Hillary Clinton really didn't go after him in 2016. Most of the field, including Elizabeth Warren, although this changed a little bit, has not gone after him this year. And there's a lot of stuff that I suspect a Trump campaign might get into, ranging from socialism, obviously, to he and his wife had their honeymoon visiting various towns around or various cities around the Soviet Union. Very few people took their honeymoon in the Soviet Union. But I think we might hear about all of that. And I think whoever the Democratic nominee is, I agree with Betsy, it's going to be a constant negative barrage, which in a way I think, interferes with the kind of strategy you outlined. But I think Trump can't help himself. If you look at what's happened with Bloomberg the last few days, Bloomberg gets under his skin and he goes after Bloomberg and after Bloomberg and after Bloomberg. Trump had like 50 tweets before noon. And, and they're all negative. Myself, I'm skeptical that that works for him. And I think voters may in the end say, I'm just not going to listen to this stuff. But you're free to disagree with me. If I could touch on something that I find interesting, I mean, I kind of always say, like, I, I try to look at things as a stock picker, you know, as, as Mike was saying, just kind of up, down. Mark to market stock picker. We're, yeah. we're, we're, here you are at Davos, our own version of Davos. I know. So, 
You look at the, the kind of similarities, uh, you know, uh, uh, Clinton lost the House in his first midterm. Barack Obama lost the House in his first midterm. Donald Trump lost the House in his first midterm. And you see these kind of cycles, these long cycles repeating over and over again. The one difference I'm seeing, and I don't know how to process it, and maybe it's a long, I just don't know enough about it, and maybe we don't, we'll know in 10 years, but and maybe this is a good science poli-sci project for the university, but I look at the, the emergence of the Tea Party movement, which is an ideological, you know, center far right that came, and we fought it as, as the establishment, establishment Republicans fought it tooth and nail. And I always, I always smile when people say Republicans get in line because it's such a fractious. I mean, look at, yeah. look at the, the people you've had up here. I mean, I, uh, usually about one cocktail in, I have some Democrat approach me and start yelling, man, we don't stand up to the party and we, we don't stand up to Trump and the party. And I'm like, We've had books written about him by sitting senators. I mean, we have one of our prominent strategists. I mean, we have we have whole every senator has come out attacked the president um, at one point or another. He's been unendorsed. I mean, but so there's this fascinating thing where the one thing about the left is, you know, when Sanders emerged as kind of the standard bearer until someone else could take him out after Trump won, the left kind of embraced it. You know, you saw AOC, um, Cortez, and and the Green New Deal, and you saw Bernie Sanders stand up with his health care bill, and he had all the youngest and brightest stars of the Senate standing right next to him. I wonder, as you as you look at it, that about the long term impact of of the Democratic establishment seemingly embracing the left, and now I almost wonder if it's they're trying to get Biden because it's too much, it's too far left, where. You've seen the party that has produced the witch and the legitimate rape and the other legitimate rape guy. And, you know, I mean, that we've had these like massive fights constantly for 10 years that have exhausted Todd and myself. And then they continue. And, and I think that's the one change in this election that I've seen that I don't know the outcome, which is supposedly the adults in D.C. or the adults in the Democratic Party, I would say, haven't stood up and said, no, we're not going there. And maybe now they are as, as Bernie's numbers get better. But to answer your question on Biden and, and Bernie, I mean, I think Trump is a negative campaigner. He'll say he's a great counterpuncher. And but he's really a puncher. He, he's asymmetrical. You can't predict. So when there's no, when, if in his toolkit there's a book that says there's no rules, then he's hard to, he's hard to predict what he's going to do. And that makes even the Republicans who work with him, they'll say, like, I didn't expect him to do that. And it's kind of a constant refrain. That said, I think he has a great ability to dominate news cycles. So we're going to get outspent this election cycle, the Republicans. Well, we always get outspent. I know it's shocking to everyone in this room, but the Democrats have all the money. They're oligarchs, write bigger check than ours, and they have unions, and they just have more money. But Trump proved that Hillary Clinton can spend – I mean, I, can, I remember this one week in August where Manafort had to step down, and it was like three huge scandals in a row. Hillary Clinton had run something like 120,000 campaign commercials to Donald Trump's 12,000. She had all the money in the world, and Trump went up two points. And I felt actually bad for Robbie Mook. I was like, this is the zombie candidate. You cannot kill this guy. And, and, and I just see that Trump is, I mean, how do you, ra- I don't know what he raised, but how do you get outspent seven, eight to one and win? Well, if you win the message war, and I think he won the message war. He broke the the, the, the money in politics paradigm. Well, be famous, too. But you can can spend all the money in the world and run all the commercials, but if only 9% of your ads ever mention the economy and you're a Democratic candidate, you're probably putting yourself in a bad position vis-a-vis your opponent. I mean, I, I think Trump gave people a very simple explanation, those people in the in those Rust Belt states, for why they were in trouble. It's trade, 
and it's immigration, and I alone can fix it. And I think even Hillary's cut line, uh, it was stronger together, was a negative line about him, not a positive line about what she was going to do. So I, I, I do think the content of what you say matters, and I want to get to a couple more points of substance in a minute, but I see some folks want to, want to make a comment. I wanted to echo the thing about the amplification. Trump had the advantage of being what movie folks would call, Sean Daniels is there, a pre-aware title. If you're on NBC for a decade in a cardboard set that looks like a boardroom firing Gilbert Gottfried for not selling enough snow cones because you're the in-charge turn-it-around business guy, and you'd had books before that, it was your business, that's why he didn't need as much advertising. That plus social media now, which where, I mean, I could destroy my career here one tweet for free to 100,000 people. You know, we, so the, the digital world allows message to go so far. And Trump's celebrity, God help us if a Kardashian wins. I mean, runs. Because the system now amplifies fame. And fame is even, if the message is right, even a little better than money. But you do have to ad- yeah. admit that Trump can rest a news cycle. And totally. I mean, it's something I've never seen before. What yeah. he can do. And, and a lot of times it is negative and, and it is going after somebody or doing something. But, yeah. I mean, a lot of famous people have run for elected office and they don't usually do well. But right. Trump understood but, fundamentally how to control a news cycle. That, uh, well, because he, he learned from his tabloid days in New York, normally you do it by saying, well, we're dropping our plan for the metric system here to get into the news cycle. Trump will say, I'm getting killed. Uh, yeah, Angela Merkel has big feet. <laughs> Tweets that out. And the media goes nuts. He got seven times the cable TV news coverage of any other Republican running for president in the primary. Because he'd call somebody. Trump knows from reality TV. From the beginning of time, from cave paintings, storytelling is about conflict. Arrow, big monster, conflict. So Trump gives everyday conflict. But unlike every other president we've had, and I don't know if this is now and forever or it'll wherever Reformation, Trump will just do a personalized insult. Yes. And because he's president, they have to repeat it. Yeah, see, my, my sense of this is he is instinctively negative, but the negative is also negative on him. It interferes with any capacity to convey the kind of positive message he needs to convey that I thought you outlined very well. Christian, you have anything? Yeah, I just, on the Biden versus Sanders, going back to that and electability in the general election, I just think Sanders is less electable in the general. And I do hear what you're saying about the Soviet Union honeymoon and those sorts of attacks. That would, those would be obvious ones that haven't come up. That might be popular with Trump also now. I'm not sure. Um, I do think Biden on balance would be a lot easier to pull off some voters. Um, and then one group of voters I want to think about that we haven't talked about with Biden versus Sanders versus others is uh, white evangelicals versus voters who are white who don't attend religious services or who are not evangelical and everyone in between. You know, white people who are not evangelical voted for Hillary Clinton. Then uh, evangelicals voted for Hillary, uh, for Trump at 80% levels, and they're going away. They are a smaller proportion of the electorate, but uh, over time, but increasing in um, enthusiasm all the time. And so there, there's really a lot about, is Sanders going to get a white evangelical to support him? No. Is Biden? No. Might Biden pull off a couple percentage points of them? Maybe, right? Um, especially if there's these attacks um in the white evangelical community, uh, uh, the elite level on Trump that are happening. So I think that's something to look for, that um, we focus a lot on white suburbanites and uh, white working class voters, but I think the just a few white evangelicals being shaved off in a couple states could be the doom of Trump. Can, 
I just mentioned one thing. Um, Bob, you, uh, I think, alluded to something important in your question there. In the primary, we have not seen the candidates going after Bernie Sanders. They, he is sort of being dismissed and, oh, well, somebody else will go after him. Or, oh, he's not serious. And now we see he's doing very well in Iowa. And will they sort of go after him? And I think it's instructive to look at what happened in 2016 in the Republican primary where the, the Republican candidates, and, and Mike can attest to this, didn't take Trump seriously, um, thought somebody else would take him out, didn't step up to take them out themselves, and at the end of the day, in a field that big, he was able to win because of that. Yeah, oh, I, I still remember. Um, yeah, it was inter- I was running the Jeb Bush Super PAC, so I'm the idiot who blew $112 million on, on President uh, Jeb Bush. And we had a big multi-way primary, so we all did polling. And we saw in the data that Trump kind of had this, he started smaller, had this celebrity knot, and was coming up as a populist, and we thought, boy, Cruz is in trouble now. Cruz is going to have to go kill him on ideology, because the rule of primaries for a zillion years has been, what, he's wrong on guns, Second Amendment, he's wrong, he gave money to Chuck Schumer, oh, that's a lightsaber, it'll cut him to pieces. And, you know, we had a lot of polling, and the one thing all Trump voters thought was they're never going to be for Jeb. So we thought, great, they can all do that. Now, eventually, we started running spots against them, but we were helping everybody but us. And, of course, we're obsessed with, as Todd remembers, with pounding the hell out of Marco Rubio, who was the guy in our lane. So what happens in campaigns is you're looking at your immediate interest, your lane. The Mayor Pete people today are not waking up worried too much about Bernie Sanders. They're worried about maybe people falling off Elizabeth Warren or college-educated that they might be a second choice for. And more than anything in the world, they want to beat Biden. So they're the non-Bernie. So their stuff is all aligned to that. And so what happens is no, nobody is out there spending their money for the greater good of the primary. They're trying to move their, their thing forward. And everybody's been afraid to touch Bernie, thinking he had a cap, and he might still. We don't know what's going to happen in Iowa, but the polling shows he's alive and well. And like Trump, he has a movement. And movements are hard to stop with TV ads, and they're often late to show up on the radar screen of, you know, regular politics. Yeah, and we'll find out whether he has a ceiling or not. I want to go to a few other things about the general election before I ask Betsy a question that, that I think might yield some very interesting results. <laughs> I, I mean, substantively, <laughs> health care really helped Democrats in 2018. Mm-hmm. It was a critical factor, I think, in Democrats winning back the House. If you get Sanders or Warren as the nominee and you have Medicare for all, could that entirely reverse the Democratic edge on health care and, in fact, make Trump look like the person who's protecting the health care of at least a lot of voters? I think so. I think um, a couple things are going to happen. You're going to see some sort of prescription drug, drug bill signed into law this year. The House has already passed it. The Senate's working on it, and, um, you know, you talk to senators, and they, the, the lessons of 2000, the Republicans absorbed that lesson very well, that we have to be able to talk proactively on health care. Um, I also think um, this is another place where Trump doesn't really line up well um, uh, as a classic Republican. I mean, price controls. I mean, we're, we're going to do it, and, uh, um, and he's been pushing for it, and, and uh, he's had the drug companies in, and he's yelled at them. He's campaigned against them. So it's an area of separation, but I also think um, the lessons of Obamacare um, have partisanized, I think. So it's, it's an issue where 
you say the word healthcare, the, you're going to see people put on their partisan jerseys. And so I think the Republican lesson was have something proactive we can talk about, have an affirmative vote, a piece of legislation. And I think, you know, we're going to get that. That's going to happen this year. But any kind of big national plan that smacks of any type of Obama style, I think is going to be really loved by some. And they already know who they're voting for and really hated by some. And they already know who they're voting for. And I think the middle is going to be suspicious. Yeah, I think if the. If, if Biden, for example, were the nominee or Buttigieg, I think, say, we want to strengthen the Affordable Care Act. We want to do even more on prescription drugs. And by the way, the administration is trying to do away with the Affordable Care Act. Lots of people would lose their health insurance. You could be thrown off your health insurance or denied it for a pre-existing condition. Kind of the same arguments Democrats were making last time. But what happens if you get a full-throated Medicare for all plan where people are going to be denied their private insurance. Elizabeth Warren has sort of backed off slightly. She's not going to propose it till the third year of her presidency. Uh, first, she's right, right after the midterm. So that that'll be a winner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, look at the retort Trump could have if, if, say, it's Biden and he wants to say everything he just said. Trump's just going to point to him and say, eight years he was in the White House, didn't lower your prescription drug drug prices at all. I did. Passed the legislation, signed it into law. And, and he's and, probably going to say, it's, mind, he's though. probably, no, I think Biden would say, it started in the House, Democrats in the House pushed it, you ultimately signed it into law, but the fact is, you want to take away uh, protections for people with pre-existing conditions, your uh, administration has joined a lawsuit trying to get the Affordable Care Act declared unconstitutional. I mean, I don't, I just think Democrats, like Republicans for a long time, had a natural advantage on crime fighting. Mm-hmm. I think Democrats have a natural advantage on health care unless they get in their own way. And I'm suggesting they might get in their own way. Well, you just don't want to be the side that's making big changes because then you're diving into a swimming pool full of razor blades. The Democrats did it. We murdered them on Obamacare. Then all of a sudden we're defending we want to get away with we want to take away pre existing conditions. They murdered us. So if you're the big scary change agent, you get murdered politically. And if the Democrats go down, I think Trump's got a got a big club. If not, then they don't. What's the long term impact, if any, on Trump of this whole impeachment process? Well, you know, I'm a fanatic anti-Trump. I've been anti-Trump since 93. Uh, I don't know where all the Johnny-come-latelys are from. I, I was doing Christine Todd Whitman's campaigns in New Jersey, and we had to deal with them in Atlantic City, and we didn't have steam cleaning apparatus big enough for the problem. Uh, somebody said earlier, people are dug in. If you love Trump, it's a scam. If you hate Trump, they ought to put the handcuffs on him right away. I do think, to the extent it has an impact, it does work negatively against Trump. Because the, the media weight of it right now is so overwhelming. It's, they're running it on Fox News. You know, and you, you look in a Republican primary vote, yeah, yeah, we're all for the Yankees, but boy, we ate our picture. There's a third of them in the Republican universe that wiggle on Trump a little. But ultimately, it's a fixed trial. He's, he's not going to get convicted and, and, and things will move on to real stuff. Final thing quickly, it will be for the Democrats, Merrick Garland on gigantic steroids. That the Democrats, I mean, the Republicans, like, shut it down. That's why this witness vote, I think, symbolically is dangerous. And so if you're trying to turn out Democrats, that this is the most important vote of your life, you're trying to turn out younger people, uh, there's going to be a tremendous bloody shirt to wave. Our troops are already maxed out, but demography tells us we don't have as many troops. And they're, they're, this could be a great motivator on their side. Ours too, but particularly theirs. 
Yeah, I, I think it on balance helps the Democrats a little bit, and that's because going back to the, our earlier conversation, it takes the message off of the economy. It doesn't allow for Trump to actually focus on the one thing that could help him. It personally seems to bother him to the point that he takes to Twitter, um, but it also means he has to respond even strategically to the to what's going on in impeachment. Um, and so in that sense, it's on balance and negative. I do agree that most Democrats have one opinion, most Republicans have another. I think the timing of it is, in terms of actually the substance of the decision, is good for Trump because it's before the Republican primaries instead of before the general, right? Would have put a lot of the uh, Republican senators who are up in 2020 on the hot seat to hold this trial in July instead of in January. Um, but that's um, that's not happening. But I do think on balance, it's the Democrats. Yeah, I think it'll be a stain on his legacy uh, in the history books. You know, there'll be a comma after his name. But I don't think it's going to really um, make a difference uh, in the fall. Um, I think, you know, like Mike was saying, too, people have their jerseys, right? They put on their jerseys, then they know who, you know, what side they're going to they're going to be on. So I don't I don't think it's going to have a big campaign effect. Unless something new happens, right? Yeah, I think it's going to have zero impact. Um, I Actually, I think it's been a net negative for the Democrats. Uh, we saw this in 98. Bill Clinton defied history by picking up seats in a second-term, midterm election in the House. Why? Because the Republicans chose to impeach him, and they, the country reacted just so negatively that they rewarded the Democrats with more votes. In mid-December, uh, don't impeach or, or uh, neg- uh, poll question negative on impeachment was 43%. Now it's over 51. So the country has moved. Um, it, I think that depends on what poll you're looking at. There's no, a poll real, on, real clear politics, rolling average. Yeah, if you look at yeah, the rolling average, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's multiple. 67% polls. of people want witnesses. <laughs> 51% of people say should be removed. The latest data that I've seen. I just looked it up for my panel, and the rolling average well, on real clear politics. I know. Is I'm 50, telling you the latest. 51 and a half say I think it's, this is I think it's our, our anti-impeachment. Okay. Okay. Let me take your 1998 example, because I lived through this. It made it much easier, the Clinton impeachment, for George W. Bush to run for president, saying, I'm not going to change much. I'm going to give you a little tax cut. But what I'm really going to do is restore honor and dignity to the White House. Mm-hmm. And the overhang of that impeachment, I think, made Gore's situation much more difficult. In this case, I suspect that with some of these suburban voters we talked about earlier, some of the women voters we talked about earlier, all of this evidence being poured out every day on television, I realize not everybody is watching it, but people seeing parts of it, is going to be an overhang on the, on the, on the campaign. Uh, but I, I, we could argue about competing polls or the real clear politics average, but... I, I just think I just think it hurts them. Can I just add on that too? I think the Clinton impeachment is not parallel to the impeachment right now. It's a completely different time that was at the the second term as opposed to the year that he's running for re-election. As Bob said, forty-seven percent is a much larger number for removal, favoring removal than um, than it was during Clinton. It's, so it's just not. It's it's just. I don't think it's parallel at all. And the the chances of something actually happening. The, the chances that during the Clinton impeachment, a new something in the news would have broken to change minds was zero. And now it's, you know, 10 percent, 20 percent. I understand all these points. I just think timing is really different. So we're going to get a verdict and then we're going to go right into Iowa and then we'll go right into New Hampshire and we're going to go right into South Carolina. And whatever happens there, I just think. The news cycles move so fast, and um, Trump will spend the next year saying he was acquitted or vindicated, and it was all a sham. 
And uh, would you advise him to do that or just not talk about it? Well, I don't think you advise the president. <laughs> I think the president <laughs> advises you. Um, Suggest nicely. <laughs> You know, there. Uh, Why would he want to talk there, about there, impeachment? There, when you know, when you're a young campaign operative, you learn there's like a series of boxes, and there's a series of things you do, like you don't, on your opening week of the campaign trail, attack a Vietnam POW, and you see this done time and time again. And you say, "Well, that's that's that should conclude that," and it it just keeps you know it just kept going on. And if you talk to folks in the White House, they will tell you anyone who's taken on Trump head-to-head has come away the loser. That's their belief, and I'll, I'll let you and history decide whether that statement is true. But they believe in the president's ability to engage anybody. POW, Gold Star, Dad, it does not, he will take all comers and he will beat them all. And that is how they can comport themselves. And with that certainty gives a certain amount of freedom. Some of them also tell you he's clinically insane, but we're talking about that later. I do think it's perilous for him other than immediately afterward to say i've been vindicated because then the democrat can said well great because we're going on appeal to the people of the country because you had a fixed trial look at mcconnell's numbers way upside down so i think anybody is making a mistake to debate impeachment process to close the general election but the vindication thing i think is a thin line for him and sets up the dem pretty well the best thing for him is it changes the channel and can hopefully from his point of view not from mine but maybe they can drug him up appropriately and get him back sedated to talk about the economy every day. Because you're right. That is the campaign if they could ever get him there. But we know he's not unlike the famous cannibal king. who You send an ambassador, you get a bone back with a note, send another <laughs> campaign advisor. The last one was delicious. So we're, we're see if he can do that. You said they believe Trump can take on anybody. Do you think Trump will debate in the general election? He's yes. been attacking the presidential commission. Maybe there's an argument that he shouldn't debate. You think he will? Yes. Because he'll be, because they believe he'll beat him, or they, he believes he'll beat anyone, anyone the Democrats put in that room, and not beat him, destroy him. Betsy, I do not think he will debate in the form of the commission on presidential debates. I don't think he likes their rules. I think he thinks there's a fix in there. He doesn't like their set. He oh, thinks yeah. it's drab. Oh, yeah, no, I mean he's <laughs> he, he and he has all the leverage. Right. I mean he all of it. Right. Look at it, the art of the deal. I mean, yeah. yes, he's going to hammer for the, the exact form he wants, and he's going to get his way. I'll have, yeah, strobe lights going. If he's behind, maybe the Democrat says, look, I'll do it with the Commission on Presidential Debates, but you're not going to dictate the terms exactly. to me. There In fact, I think a Democrat needs to make sure, if they're going to be credible, that they look like they can stand up to him and say, no, you can't dictate the terms of the debate. There will be a debate over the debates. Yeah, They can't look afraid of them. That's what he did in 2016 in Iowa, if people recall. He skipped the first uh, the debate right before the caucus and said, I don't like the format. And then afterwards was fine with debates. No, just a quick debate crazy prediction. I I agree. I I think he'll blow it up to prove he's the alpha star. He'll create one debate. If the Dems are running away with it, then they're fine. But let's say they're not. But he'll make a mistake. He'll insist on only one. He'll make the incumbent mistake like Obama did. And, well, the Dem has been doing nothing but preparing for this moment psychotically. And the Dem will do okay. And then Trump will lose a lot of leverage about a second debate. So this thing could be, could be quite, a, quite a moment. Uh, Betsy, uh, you've done a – I want to go back to something that's talked about in other panels. You have a lot of new research about women, their reactions to what's going on this year, what they might do this year. What role are they going to play in 2020 beyond the role they normally play and the defection of 
yeah. suburban women. Well, I, I thought Jane did a terrific job and sort of on the mark nailed it about, you know, women's role uh, in elections and, and their turnout. And one of the things um, at the Institute I run on women in politics, um, we just did a poll done by the esteemed polling company of Benenson Strategy Group, I will say, <laughs> about women's political participation. And what we found there, and, and not just not just how they're voting, but how they're actively participating in politics, um, you know, volunteering on campaigns, contributing money, showing up at marches, um, getting their friends involved. That's, you know, all of those components of partici actively participating in politics. And what we found is um, women voters, these are likely 2020 voters, said that since 2016 and until now, a third of them said that they have gotten more involved in politics. And they've also said, an another third said, that they are going to be more involved now going forward. And so you see women really participating at high levels. And within that, within those groups, you've seen uh, women of color uh, and millennial women just sort of leading the charge um, and being among the demographics that we looked at, ones that are really going to be uh, out there um, campaigning, volunteering, marching. And one of the things women really do uh, well when it comes to participating in politics is they are able to gather uh, their gatherers and uh, get their friends involved, um, persuade other people. Uh, and so we're going to see, I think, uh, even more of that going forward. Just one point, because I was dying to jump out of my seat at the last panel. The one thing, though, where I think the voters are in a different place than the, the elites in the media who cover the campaign is they presume that women automatically vote for women. Right. And that's not true. Their decision is much more multifactored than that. If you look at the Iowa caucus now, Joe, I don't know what the latest models are, but historically the caucus participation has been around 53% female, yet if you sum the female candidates, you're 23%. So they decide on so many more, everybody does, uh, calculus and just their gene code. Mm -hmm. But the energy is totally, I couldn't agree more. I think we're going to open this up to the audience for questions. So the overwhelming wisdom is that in the impeachment trial, Trump gets acquitted, it's fixed, and you are all saying it has very little impact going into the election, slight dem, maybe. Is there anything that could happen in the next week or so that could come out that could radically change that picture? Witnesses, Bolton, and he decides to sell a lot of books with a huge... they got to get the votes, iffy, but not impossible. And Bolton burns the room down. Yeah, then it, 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 the main thing about impeachment is it's an opportunity for Trump to handle the crisis and improve his bad numbers. But instead, he digs down. For Trump, everything's a Republican primary, which is work for him. Once, with 77,000 votes out of 13.5 million in three states pulling it off. So, but it, we could have some good high drama. If, I don't know how many, I know Bolton, I think, yeah, no. Uh, he could be very entertaining and create a big defining moment. Will that rule the general election? No, but it would be worse than where we might go, which is it's over, the Republicans shrug, the Democrats yell, they vote, it's done. Yeah, for the record, I may be the only person up here, but I do think impeachment will hurt him in the general, even if he's acquitted. Rob obviously has exactly the opposite point of view. So next year when we come back here for this conference, which will be held after the election, we'll find out who was right. <laughs> Trump's cocky because of our bet on Biden, so get odds. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, just, uh, I would say the, the only thing is just to pay attention also to people like Lamar Alexander and retiring Republicans, and that's not enough to get to two-thirds for acquittal. But if, if there's just a couple of those types of Republicans start to change their behavior in the next week, something might happen. Uh, Rob, I 
generally agree with your approach in looking at historical patterns of turnout models, et cetera. But the midterms in this last midterm was a 100-year high level of turnout. It was within 20 million votes of the presidential turnout in 2016. Does that change your calculus at all? Do you think that's just a numerical anomaly, or do you think that shows a certain amount of energy that creates more risk for the Republicans going into 2020? Yeah, but if you look at where we lost and how we lost, I mean, the NRCC's basic pitch is we lost by 50,000 votes. If you look at the disc, is where we lost. Um, you can laugh, but that's, I mean, I mean, look at California, look at New Jersey, look at New York. We don't know how salt factored into that turnout, the state and local taxes that they changed, and, and uh, I think where we were hardest hit were states that had a big salt impact. So I think a lot of Republican voters in the tax bill didn't get anything. So they were cranky and that that impacted their vote. That said, no, it doesn't. I mean, I think it wasn't. I mean, I'd be curious about the Watergate level analysis because Barack Obama had a much worse midterm. You look at the raw number of seats that switched hands. Trump basically performed inside the historic average of seats changing hands uh, for a first midterm. And that was a relief to many people in my party because they weren't sure how this 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 new president was going to do in the midterms. And there was a lot of reasons for pessimism. One more such relief and you shall be undone. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> let, let me just chime in on that. The problem is with Trump, you put it all together. So you have bad midterms. Obama had a bad midterm. You've had a bad run of governor's races. He just recently visited two of them, and I don't think he had much of a positive impact. You have bad polling numbers. You have a president who, unlike Obama, does not have the discipline to run a campaign to change the the subject to the economy or whatever. So you combine the kind of Trump recklessness with the bad demography, with the bad midterms, with the lousy polling data. I was just looking at presidential job approval, which I know isn't ballot. He's negative 20 in my home state of Michigan from, you know, the beginning. His numbers have declined in all three of his key bellwether states. So it doesn't mean he's doomed to lose. But his yeah against any Democratic opponent, his, well, numbers, that's have, the missing, his numbers have improved. Yeah, that's over the, the since the summer. But they're still bad. There's is there any ballot test anywhere that shows them you know significantly dominating or even outside margin of error in Michigan, Wisconsin? He's behind. I think there's one poll in Wisconsin that shows like margin two points. He's statistically the weakest in the Gallup's since Eisenhower polling. He's the the, the weakest statistical president we've ever seen. The second weakest statistical president at this point was Barack Obama. But who's going to run a Schroeder re-election campaign? That Obama thing was beautiful. They did. They defined Romney better than Romney did. I don't know. You tell me. You, yeah. we, I don't know. You got to take on a Clinton. Oh, and she's going to have two and a half billion dollars, and you're going to raise four hundred million dollars. Would you want that job, Mike? Uh, and he to run did a, to, I didn't understand the to run a campaign where you're going against two and a half billion dollars in a Clinton. And mm-hmm. you have four hundred million dollars. Do you want to take that campaign? Trump raised more than that. I can't remember what he raised, but he got outspent. He got blown out. Yeah. But my point is, but he, Trump. But he so won unique. the message war. He's so unique. He's something we've never seen. He doesn't build classic structures that we're used to. So therefore, he can step outside of all, everything that we would normally say is important. Yeah, my only skepticism about that, and Mike referred to this, changed thirty-eight thousand votes. He's not president. Hillary has three hundred and six electoral votes, and we're talking about how. He was outspent, and you can't run somebody like this. The fact that almost accidentally, through the Electoral College, he got in doesn't suggest to me necessarily that running that same kind of campaign again is going to get him back there. I agree with what you said at the very beginning. There is a kind of campaign he should be running. He's just not running it. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, just one very quick thing on the impeachment. What I do see it doing that I think favors the Republicans is he loves being the victim. This is his crucifixion. They do this because they hate me, but they really do it because they hate you, which means that the base is stronger than it could ever have been. Somebody else can answer this, I, but I, I think one of Trump's problems is his obsession with the base. The base is going to stay with him. He doesn't have to keep satisfying them, satisfying them, satisfying them. They're going to stay. It's obvious when we, the earlier panel we heard about the farmers who won't blame him because of the tariffs. The base will stay. I think that he needs to find a way to reach some of those voters who didn't like either candidate in 2016 but decided in the end to vote for him. And I don't think he's doing that, and I don't think playing that he was crucified is, is the way forward for him, but others may. Yeah, look, he runs a great Republican primary. You know, the general election is a different world. I think he's in a cul-de-sac of demography. But again, the Democrats are capable of giving him some real tools to work with. <laughs> yeah, Mike is saying Trump can't win but the Democrats can lose. Yes, over here. How do you explain, I, I tend to agree with Rob on most of his issues because I've seen the president a bunch of times and heard him in private settings. How do you explain they've raised $456 billion across different PACs and victory campaign for the president last couple months? And his rallies are to the rafters and people waiting outside 10 hours to get in who don't get in. I mean, how do you explain this? And it's not just the base. It's people nobody talks to. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I mean, anyone can answer the, the this. I, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. It doesn't seem logical, but Mc, look what's going on. McGovern had great rallies. Goldwater had great rallies. Kardashian could have great rallies. You can fill an ice arena with the ice capades. They self-select. The money is impressive, but the incumbency is also impressive. They also have what other Republican, more establishment presidents haven't had, which is low-dollar fundraising that's gigantic, using digital. That, that's what they, they're one of the biggest Facebook advertisers because it's click here, send $20 because you believe. So the intensity form is tremendous. I'm not, I'm not arguing that. It's, is he a 42% president or can he get to a 49%? And that's going to be the story of the election. We'll see. And can he do it in the right places? The Democrats, they would love to go on a crusade to get L.A. County up, you know, another 200,000 votes. Wonderful. <laughs> but it won't change anything because of the Electoral College. I would trade 500 voters here for one in St. Clair County, Michigan. And the problem is the center of gravity in kind of the psychological guidance system of the Democratic Party is here in New York, not there. If they had any brains, they would have nominated Bullock, a guy who's very, the governor of Montana used to win in a red state all the time, very comfortable in the language of red state. It would have been a complete commando raid on Trump's world. But, you know, he couldn't get arrested. Poor Michael Bennett's right now, like in changing a tire in a car in New Hampshire somewhere if the <laughs> Senate is let out. He, he would be death in a general election. Scares the hell out of us. He, but he waits gonna... by the side of the road for someone to break down. Right. So right, he can yeah, help them. Yeah. No, no, no. We're see. We're see. All the way in the back. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for everything today. I wanted to return to the subject of the Senate um, because it seems like that is so important. And I believe the way it was characterized earlier today is that that isn't a big focus for the Democratic electorate. And I was wondering if you had any suggestions of how to make it more important because it really is important, as you guys know. I, we've got to get McConnell out of majority leader position. And I was wondering if you thought of um, the way Steyer and really Steyer has been t attacking Trump in, his, in spending all that money, why don't we attack McConnell? 
and say, if you don't vote for a Democratic senator, we're going to have this guy. There's a lot of things you guys know better than I that we could talk about in such commercials. Uh, Any thought strategies? I'll bet Rob disagrees with you about getting rid of McConnell. Uh, Well, (laughs) yes, obviously, but uh, the the rest of you. (laughs) Don't malign Mike Murphy that way. No, I kind of like McConnell just to, I've known him a long time as a human, but... uh, I'm, I'm not on the, uh, the thing. I'll just say every Democratic candidate's doing that to Democratic primary voters. Amy McGrath is running against him, is going to raise a fortune naturally, nationally and probably lose. Maybe lightning will strike. I, I doubt it. It's Kentucky. The map is better for the Republicans this time. But if there's a, if the Dems nominate a competitive candidate and make it a referendum on Trump and have that turnout surge that there's some early data from the midterms, I'm kind of with Joel with this, that that electrification is going to happen. Then they could take the Senate. It is possible. It's uphill. Okay, we're going to do like one more question. Thank you, and great job today. Elizabeth Warren's numbers are quite up there, very close to Bernie's. What can she do to improve her chances of winning this election? I want to make a joke about be charming and everything, but I don't want to be arrested. Um, uh, no. I, look, she had the best campaign out of the box. Clear message, great organization. You know, we'd all be reading about the campaign selfie as the new alpha weapon now. And then there was a second look at the health care plan. And it was devastating to her, and they couldn't shift gears. So could she still win the Iowa caucus? Absolutely. Has the trend been a little against her? Yeah. So I don't have an answer, but that's what I think happened. I think she recovered from a horrible start. The, it, it, very horrible. The, the yeah. DNA test, I thought, was... I don't know how you I don't know how you have your own DNA test, and, and she blew it, but she did, and that's fine. Um... <laughs> But then she came back, and, and, you know, I always admire people, and Newt Gingrich is someone who's like this as well, that they, even when they're down, they just keep firing ideas, and they keep building coalitions, and they keep saying, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna... I think the, the challenge, and, and maybe that's why Bernie's got a movement, is a lot of the Democrats seem to be running for, a, you know, who's the most leftist, as opposed to Barack Obama, hope and change, Donald Trump, make America great again where you can kind of put your aspirations for your family and your country and the world into their kind of where they're going. And I think she's been technically very good. This is Republican, so it's like tying your shoes in the mirror. I always get things backwards in a Democrat primary. But um, I, from, from just a, a straight campaign, I was really impressed that she came back and made so much noise over the summer. But I never thought she was able to, and she had the rallies, and it seemed like something was really building there. Then it just kind of faded, and I don't, understand truly but i felt like she was never able to sum up why she's running and and then when she backtracked on her health care plan the whole you know what she did at harvard and her you know the the, the native america it, it just kind of made her and then the bank working at a law firm for banks or pesticide yeah. companies or i don't really follow as closely as apply some in this room but it just kind of made her you know politiciany and i think that hurt her where bernie's yeah. like a full-throated like i'll do anything for my movement she had that bad moment with Buttigieg, too, where she decided to behead him on donors when she had broken her own standard pretty egregiously, and that, that was a real fumble. One thing I would say is we don't know the outcome yet. We can all speculate on it. We could talk about reasons. But I do not believe that this late in the process, uh, and I know this from experience, I do not believe that this late in the process you can fundamentally change your message and your approach and have it work, because voters have seen you for months and months and months and months. We'll take one more question. We're a little over time, but that's okay. Oh, thank you. I wanted to ask, if the economy is so good, what about the deficit? Why 
are no Republicans for whom that's been such a talking point. They don't care about that so anymore. Long. <laughs> why, why does no one care about it? The voters don't. The voters don't unless something bad happens. You know, the, in principle, they think the government should live within its means. But look at Morning in America in 1984, deficit soaring. But the economy was getting better. The economy is doing well. The one thing we didn't say on this panel, or one of the things we didn't say, we didn't get to election security, for example, uh, is there's vast income inequality still in the country. And I think a lot of the people Trump appealed to uh, and some of those who, who swung to him, who had voted for Obama, thought he was going to do something to help them. And I don't think a great deal has been done to help them. And that might become something Democrats talk about. But the deficit is not going to be a big issue in this election. And that's why you're not seeing Democrats talk about it. I will just chime in, actually. One good thing Trump has going for him, which is often the most important thing in the economy, is not the statistics, it's real wages. And they are, for the first time in a long time, creeping up. If that continues through Election Day, people will feel that, and that will be good for Trump. I want to thank all the people who joined me here, Rob, Betsy, Christian, Mike. I want to thank all of you. All right, see you next year. Thank you all very much. Thank you for joining us on Election R&D. It helps us a lot when you subscribe and rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow us on Twitter at USC POL Future. That's USC POL Future. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube and visit our website for upcoming programs. 